0: Hello world, I'm Jared Cunningham. This is the Freelance Forum Spring 2022 podcast series. Over the years, the Freelance Forum has been made possible by support from the National Union of Journalists and the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland. You can download the Freelance Forum podcast from Apple Podcasts, Pocket Casts, and all good podcatcher apps, and on SoundCloud. This is episode number 43 on the topic of travel journalism with Mankin Magan. I suppose to start just with the obvious question. It's It's... It's not uh, one of the usual areas that I would think of someone going into. How did you move into tra- travel journalism? How do, how, how do you end up in that particular space?
1: Yeah, so I'm I'm qualified in nothing really, but I had spent. A long time traveling in Africa and in the Middle East, India. Basically, you know, being a, a dropout from college in, in, in 1991, 92, and just traveled a lot, of, spent a lot of time just living in other countries around the world. Until eventually, 1996 comes along and the Finifa government and um, Labour decide to found TG Carr. So there's a brand new television channel, TG Car or TNG at the time. And my brother decided to make a travel documentary. So I then, he, he came out to India where I was. I was like high up in the Himalayas. He came out with a little camera and we started making travel documentaries. So from then on in, from 1997, so on the second day TG ever was on air, I had a TV program. And the first year was India. The second year was the Middle East. Then we did things on China. No, the second year was South America. Then we did China, the Middle East and all over the, the world. And then it was only in about, I did we used to write the odd travel article, article about in general um, for the Irish Times, but in 2008, they started their new Go magazine. This was like the key, the, the high point in travel journalism. There was so much money a wash in the country at the height of the boom, just at, before the precedence of the end of the boom. So Irish Times decided, let's have a travel magazine to expand on the advertorial potential of travel and also to expand on their travel journalism. And they, they hired me to write a column, um, a travel column, and then I had also started writing uh travel articles about about for them and one reason let's say so in 97 i started making the dra- travel documentaries then i started writing travel books with brandon press about my time in india another book about my time in africa another book about my time in south america um and they were published i suppose from about 2006 onwards
0: for someone looking to uh break into travel journalism at the moment i mean obviously it's quite a different time the Celtic tiger is long gone and travel is fairly restricted in the wake of COVID as well. What advice would you have for someone looking to make the same move to the same kind of career nowadays?
1: Yeah, so as you say, everything has changed since then. I was at the very end of almost the travel journalism as a a role. You know, at the time, newspapers had their own travel journalists, and that's almost entirely gone now. You might have some newspapers with a travel editor, but they are having to do so much online content and mainstream newspaper content that they rarely get to travel in a lot of cases. So, and even the, you know, that's not just the case in Ireland. All those travel magazines around the world that I'd read and that impressed me so much and were entirely objective and neutral, that's all gone. Most of those now are are accepting advertising copy and they are not paying for their own trips anymore. So the idea of this noble um, genre of travel writing that had gone on or travel journalism that had gone for so long is ended but something entirely different has taken its place and one i mean so many things but obviously most of them are online and things like video blogging and podcasting and just traveling with your own um instagram account and your twitter account and getting free holidays and reporting with an element of, ob- of objectivity or not on the places you've traveled so in fact there's there's I mean, there's a massive travel industry and that travel industry is dying for to have its content, um, to have its trips advertised. And it's finding it more and more difficult to do so because there are less and less travel uh, pages in the newspapers and there are less and less newspapers. And there's just less places to easily get audiences for the travel, um, for for the for the for the the content, the the product and the content that travel industry want to sell
0: how do you pitch an article these days um are you p- you're not pitching to single editors are you or are you sort of trying to put together a package before you set out so i suppose first thing is like
1: as i said so i'm a bit of a dinosaur there has there's an entirely new travel industry now and it's based on these things you know twitter and video blogging things that i don't really do um, but i'm more and more aware of them like i just came back from a trip in january i did a trip to Brittany. And um, most of the con- the travel industry, the t- the tourist operators and the travel agents and the bo- travel tourism boards, we're now just picking up on people, independent freelancers who were either had a had a had um, a busy enough uh, blog or podcast or um, Instagram account that they were willing to provide this holiday for. But for me, as I say, because I'm like a d- dinosaur, because I'm doing it the old way of pitching to newspapers. Um, I've never pitched, I've, I mean, I've always tended to write for the Irish Times. And um, so that, requir- that means pitching to editors, the Irish Times editors. Now, I, as I said, since 2008, I've been writing all, you know, almost full time as a freelancer for the Irish Times. I still don't get my emails replied to, you know, and for about maybe six years before that, I've been writing on and off the Irish Times. And I know everybody in that newspaper. I've rarely been in the building I'm mean, a freelancer that people would connect with the Irish Times. I think, I think twice have I been in the Irish Times building. And uh, most of the editors tell me, keep it that way. You don't want to go in. You don't want to go into a modern newspaper um, bureau office. Um, but so I would, you know, I'm now about 51 years of age. So most of the editors would be younger than me now. And I would have known them. I would have known them starting off and they were just, you know, cub reporters and, uh, you know, maybe checking a fact with me or something. But they don't reply to me just because, not out of rudeness, not anything, just they're so busy. They know they like the, the content I give. They know I don't give enough content. I don't, you know, pitch enough stories to them. They'd like more. Um, I should just say why they would like more is because the new model of the, of the newspaper industry, because they've let go so much of their staff, they need content. They need content, though, from reliable writers and that's the catch-22 they desperately need content but they are so busy that they don't have the time to copy edit or to copy edit and to send back emails about things that have gone wrong or things that don't have the right writers who know how to write for that particular newspaper and every newspaper is slightly different um and so um I, so i said i would pitch to the Irish Times editor is knowing that mostly I won't get a reply, that I'll probably have to reply in another week or two. It, probably in journalism school, they send they say to send an email and then to phone. I've never phoned an editor in my life. I'd be just too scared to do so. I remember, I think, actually, once I tried phoning Patsy Murphy you know, when she was editor of the Irish Times magazine. But the trauma of doing that fell 15 years ago, um, is still with me. So I've, ne- I've never... Do- if, the, if the editor gets back to me and says, look, we can't do it, then I'd try and go to the Irish Examiner or the Irish um, the Sunday Business Post. I was never able to go to the Irish Independent because the Irish Independent would have had an idea. If you're associated with the Irish Times, they're not going to have you in the, in the Indo. That was the case until last year. Last year, I had this new book on 32 Words for Fields. And suddenly the Irish Indo seemed to be aware that there's such an interest now in things to do with Irish culture and Irish language that they are willing to to um, to overcome that they realize that even the irish indo readers want this new uh, um, angle on irish culture and the irish language which is relevant for irish travel writing too and i get to that in a second so the irish indo are willing to think actually we need this content um, so they'd be willing to have me i suppose the other thing i should just say over that time the other really interesting thing is the, the fact that you know the whole industry has gone. That those travel editors that were in the travel writers that were in every newspaper have gone. The travel editors have known and mostly gone and been there now. And am you know, there's so much new content now available online. The other thing is money. I was paid. I was paid four hundred euros an article when I started in two thousand and eight um yeah and I had a column and I think that was 300 euros and each photo I gave and I'm no, I'm not a photographer of any you know I'm a bad photographer with just a little throwaway camera you'd be I'd be paid 40 40 euros for every photo so no, sometimes I was paid 500 euros for a big travel article like now you know now if I get 150 euros if I got 225 euros I'd be very very happy so prices for articles have ha- at least halved and sometimes gone down by 60 percent there's no chance that anyone would pay me for one of my photos anymore because it's just all of that it's freely available to the editors online they're all they're all paid subscribers of some sort of photo library and they get their photos that way and if i do if they really do want a photo of me in a particular place if it's relevant for that um and that's just one thing for journalists to understand in their piece. The Irish Times would never do that, used to never do that. It was the byline was where the writer appeared, the journalist appeared, and then the photos were just focused on the article. They did not want to see the tra- the author, the journalist, on holidays in the photos, uh, whereas the Irish Indo did. But anyway, if, I, if they needed a photo of me, they're certainly not going to pay me for it anymore. It's, all has changed.
0: Uh, What are you working on at the moment?
1: Mm. Um, Can I just, before you say that, can I just say, there is such demand still for content, for, you know, not only on, um, as I said, all of those, the travel industry still are desperate to have their products and their wares and their airlines and their estates and their cruises written about or videoed or featured in places, and they find it ever harder to do that. But also, the newspapers do still really want travel journalism and as I said, they've got rid of all their travel writers. They've even got rid of their travel editors. So they have, and but they are still keen to attract travel advertising. So they are keen to have travel articles so that they can attract our uh, advertising. And so, um, you know, there is definitely scope, and possibly more scope to write for journalists now than there was when I started in 2008 because in 2008 it was a closed shop. The, you know, said so there was a professional travel journalist and then the rest of the staff would take a holiday and would write about it um, and get paid for it. Um, now, that's all gone. They, they And back then, a, a, a journalist could, uh, a, a journalist who was on the, who was in the newspaper and on the payroll could take a holiday and would be paid, would be paid for, as working when he was on holidays. That's all gone. Journalists now would need to take leave and that's very hard if, you're, if your husband or your wife is at home and you're going off um, on a holiday that isn't that isn't being paid for. Um, so basically, the, the the travel editors and the features editors do need more, more content. Um, you're going to get paid a lot less than I was paid, as I said, when I started in 2008. And so you need to know what content they want. And we sort of know it's going to be for a seasonal dependent. In January, February, March, they want articles about the summer season. Well, probably from February on, they want articles. They know they know the public are going to be interested about booking their holidays in the summer and they want articles. In, in October, November, they want articles about winter holidays because that's what their readers will be interested in. So it's so to be aware, they also want articles about areas that everyone's hot, talking about and it's currently hot. Um, and so, and the big thing is, Travel um editors want articles about senior travel, about elder travel. Most travel is done by people who are retired. And it happens that a lot of the journalists in the newspaper are either young with families or or single, and they're writing about holidays that that the elder readership aren't interested in. And particularly the people who buy newspapers, particularly the Irish Times and the Indo, the ones who buy the paper copy, are are, tend to be elderly. So the editors are keen to have articles that, that attract um about destinations that attract those readers so but they're not getting enough so if one has if one is careful about where um, you know one accesses the other thing the travel editors really want and feature editors is unique insight so we know that whatever 2 million people go to Spain every year the, are, the newspapers will always be interested in articles in Spain but they want new angles so if you happen to be an expert on the gourmet cuisine of northern Spain or if you're really interested in bird watching um, and you've done a journey on y- yourself because, you know, if you notice most travel, most travel articles will have at the end of it, this, this, the journalist was provided with a free holiday or free flight or free everything. Um, edit- newspapers and journalists, um, editors have had to do that because they don't have the money to send people abroad, but it, it doesn't sit well with them. They would much prefer to have an article in their newspaper that didn't have those credits at the end. So if you do happen to be going on a trip and paying for it yourself, And then you're going to be willing to write an article about that. That's very valuable for the editors because they get an article that um, doesn't have sponsorship um, attached to it. It looks more neutral. It looks more um, objective. But that means that you're having to pay for your holiday. You're having to pay your rent for the one or two weeks that you're away. And you're only going to get paid, as I said, maybe €150, maybe €225, possibly 250 if you're very lucky the last people that paid big money were cara magazine who paid 400 euros an article and really edited an article like oh god when i started journalism in 2008 i would hide copy editors i had questions coming back about my pieces that's all gone now it's up to you to have everything correct correct in it but cara magazine did until COVID you know cara when erlingus um, had to shut down during COVID the magazine I, uh, I could ask, I could answer what I am up to now. But what I will to tell you is, yeah, the big change that happened in my life as a travel journalist was um, in 2019. It wasn't really COVID, but it's in 2019 when the Extinction Rebellion started, and people really became aware of climate change. And the big new reports from the UN came out about the the, the true extate um, state of it. And I realized, okay, I've been a travel journalist, you know, since for a decade. I've been a travel documentary maker for 20, 25 years. And my whole role in that has been promoting people, encouraging people to travel, to take trips that they don't really need to take, whether they were weekend trips to to Russia or to Poland or like long trips to India or South America. But my whole agenda was to encourage people to go on trips that they didn't need to go on. Um, And I realized I had to. I had to reassess that because I was okay doing that when I wasn't really aware of the impact of travel. But like in 2019, there was no doubting that each trip we has we have has a an impact, a negative impact on the amount of carbon in the planet. And I thought, am I going to continue doing this for another 10 years in the knowledge now that I am encouraging people to do something that's harmful that they don't really need to do? And I realized I couldn't. So I wrote a letter to other travel journalists and said, look, what are we going to do about about climate change are we all going to come out and um try and say something together but i didn't get it <laughs> i didn't get anyone to join me so instead i announced that i was giving up travel um i was giving up tra- flying for my travel journalism so i'd still be a travel journalist but i wouldn't fly anymore and at the time i was the regular travel journalist on the um the morning show with the sean o'rourke show and on the dave fanning show and on um think i'd given up the yeah the, the george hook show had finished but i was on another well on the tv three show on six o'clock show on virgin media one and and still regularly contributing to matt cooper and um kevin on the the hard shoulders that who replaced uh, george hook and um so, and I told them and I told everyone, I announced it public and I wrote an article for the Irish Times that I was going to, I wouldn't take flights for holidays, I wouldn't take flights for travel journalism, but I would still take flights for my cultural work. If I was going abroad about my books or my theatre, I'd take a flight as long as, if I couldn't avoid not taking a flight, if there was no other option. And um, so that that got a lot of publicity. But it meant that I was dropped immediately by all those <laughs> um, platforms that I was on because I told them all that like, this is going to be this is not a problem. This is an opportunity. I'm willing to start writing about travel, about train journey journalism, train journeys and overland travel around the world. In fact, I was excited. It was going to open up a whole new field for me. Um, but well, people weren't interested and then covid happened and everything and everything shut down but i have continued like i've done so in january 20, 2020 just before covid i took a train down to to seville and back up again uh, and the back up again is the long arduous bit you're excited to go away and then i took um about in february of this year i went to Brittany by train um and i have i will be writing about that for the irish times and probably another article on that for the irish examiner um, and ultimately, I'd like to start a podcast on that. And then I'm just back from seven week, you know, trip to uh, North America touring a theatrical show. I flew for that. But I have another I have to, I'm giving a lecture later on in the year to um, Princeton. And I have looked at every opportunity of trying to get a cargo ship across Um, But unfortunately, all of the cargo, the freight ships have stopped taking passengers for 2020 because of 2022 because of COVID. But I would see myself still remaining in travel journalism, but writing for um, um, flightless travel. and I think that's a niche that will grow and there's opportunities for other people to step into that. What makes a good travel article? So... For me, principally, it's one that isn't tied to an ad that isn't an ad like, it, you know, travel journalism does not have the highest um, status. There was, a, uh, I think, a conference in Pennsylvania a few years ago, and it decided it said like travel, ger- travel journalism was journalism's or literature's tiramisu. It was light, fluffy, insubstantial and soaked in booze. And so it doesn't have a you know, people often think of it's for retired journalists who are cranky and crabby and just go and get they get stocious and drunk on free press trips abroad. And that definitely has a place that's definitely a place. And I have taken travel journal travel press trips with other journalists. And, you know, they're 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 not the most noble or um yeah, inspiring thing. Um, you just It's basically an alcohol fest and people not being interested in really capturing the essence of where they are, in my arrogant opinion. Um, and so what I see is, like travel journalism is the only form, not only of journalism, but the only form of literature that is has its key element to break down borders, to knit different cultures together. It's a profound element, it's a profound thing. But rarely do one see people around the water cooler at work ter- talking about the latest um, travel journalism article because most of it is just advertising. It's just, um, you know, it's the blandest type of writing that is only focused on trying to sell product for an outside company. So wonder no wonder people don't find it inspiring. But when you do read travel journalism at its very best, you can see it can give insights to a whole other worlds. It can it can widen a person's horizons and it can make them braver and understand the world better. So it has the potential to be incredibly potent and incredibly powerful if it's done right. I remember the Irish Indo at one point they said they both said they never paid for a travel article. Most of them were, were just people going on press trips and writing about it. So you know, it's no wonder that that we don't see the greatest form of journalism in travel journalism, because when I said most of it's free trips and then people saying nice things about the free trip. But if one is going to really try and grab the bull by the horns and write uh, great, excellent travel journalism of the likes of like even war might have tried or even travel literature, the likes of Colin Tubron or or, um, or, um, Bruce Chatwin, the first thing one needs to do is to think about the place you're going with incredible comp- um, concentration before and decide. So you either you, have two options. You either go and you research everything about that place so you are fully knowledgeable and fully au okay fait with everything when you arrive, or you do the opposite and you go with a blank slate. And if you're going as a blank slate, in fact, either way, if you're going knowledgeable or a blank slate, you it behooves you to have your senses absolutely wide awake every single moment that you're traveling. And like sometimes, I I might do a trip to London. In the past, I would have done a trip to London and I would have gone for my own pleasure or I might have had a commission from a newspaper. And both things are entirely different. If I'm going with a commission, knowing I'm going to write about it, I need to be absolutely aware of every single sense, of every single sight, of every single smell, of every single sensation and feeling that goes through me from the moment I arrive in Heathrow. Um, and the, there's something really profound about travel. The moment we step outside of our own comfort zone, we tend to be more heightened, more aware, more conscious of things. So it's a, it's an incredibly fruitful thing to write about if one has uh, a joy or a real g- a wish to write well and to write richly. Um, and you're going to somewhere that's outside your comfort zone, that everything is slightly new, everything is slightly altered and so it makes you question everything and that's why when I when I've done international press trips when I was the only Irish journalist on the trip and you see other like the the elite of American travel journalism or Australia again this was all maybe five or six years ago most of those elite travel journalism for Australia and England and Australia have all been let go but those ones they were this was this was a discipline for them, it was a calling. So every single second they were asking everybody, they were reading everything they could find out. They were deeply trying to get onto the surface of the place, just like we might imagine an amazing foreign correspondent. Like that's how we should, as travel journalists, go about our work. And yet so many articles in any Irish newspaper, it's just about, oh, I asked my taxi driver or the receptionist in the hotel said the most lazy form of journalism, you know. And no wonder the, the, the form of journalism has such a low esteem. And no wonder then it's harder for um, young people to be inspired and go into this field because there's nothing in it for them. But that's there is this chasm. There is this emptiness. There is this need and will and wish. For, for people now to find real meaning, to find real meat, to find real insight and um, and inspiration in this form of journalism. So if some young people come along and actually try and lift up the genre, to raise up the genre, how it was in the past, and how it still is in some countries, um, there's an there's amazing scope. And whether that needs to be done online, whether actually there will be no newspaper that will take it, whether it, needs to be, whether it needs to be started off with the blog online and then some lazy newspaper editor will pick it up a year or two after, that might be what, what has to be done. But like, I remember at one stage, I was writing an article on Myanmar, on Burma. Now I'm very knowledgeable on Africa and South America and a bit on India, but I'd never been to Southeast Asia before. So that first article, I realized how wasn't I going to fall into every other cliche that every other journalist has written when they've written about Burma or Myanmar in the past. So the only way I could go about doing that was going to the library, getting about nine or 10 books out and reading them all so that I knew what the normal thing that outsiders, that Westerners, that white people said about these countries. And then I could I could weave my little 1200 word article through it through all of those Um assumptions that have been said in the past so it can't make financial sense to do that but yet I would I would I would hope that a lot of journalists would think this is more than just journalism is a calling it's about doing your very best writing there's definitely there often one does have to make money in different ways but if we can try and lift travel journalism up to what it ultimately can be then we need to go to those lengths. And I believe it's worth it. It's worth it for one's own self-worth to know that the articles you have left out there have meaning, have substance, even 10 years, 15 years later.
0: Uh, have you any uh, book or uh, any other projects or a website at the moment that you'd like to promote to listeners while you're here? Yes, I'm doing I have a podcast at the
1: moment called The Almanac of Ireland about the about elements of Irish culture and language. Again, no one would have been interested in a podcast like that five years ago. But there is this new interest. There's such an interest in exploring different elements of Ireland and uh, both in Ireland and abroad. And that's a great opportunity for people to come in and start writing content about this for newspapers, but also online. And then I have a new podcast as well about, called Home Stories, which is about um, this, the lives, the family lives and the childhood lives of people in direct provision. And I have a new book coming out in September about the, the landscape um, of Ireland. But the one thing I'd like to say, if when I, whenever I show my little blurb or my bio, it says Monkham has written for the Guardian, for the LA Times and for the Washington Post or something. I always include those. I've only ever written one or two articles. I wrote quite a few for the Guardian. But one article for the Washington Post, one article for the LA Times. The reason that I got to do that, it's every single person is able to do this. It's just there is one day of the year that every major newspaper and magazine and online forum want a story about Ireland. And that's St. Patrick's Day. They want a story about Ireland. They will repeat the same old story about shamrocks and Guinness if if they don't have a better story. But they would love to have something with a new insight. So whether it's the Globe and Mail, the Sydney Moore, the Sydney Herald, the New York Times, the Washington Post, the LA Times, all of those. If we start pitching stories that are interesting and offer a new angle, that are still very Irish, but offer a new and novel and unique angle to, to Ireland to those newspapers and those magazines and those journalists, um, in maybe from mid-January on. It's very likely we'll get picked up by one. So the thing is, we need to be aware of what they, what they and their readers want. They want something that has a bit of Irishness or brogue in it. So we give them a little bit of the shamrockery, the paddywhackery, but we also have a twist in it and something that we feel is real and is substantive and we can be proud of. And so I'd encourage every single year, every journalist to do that, just because it opens the door. That's the way I started writing with The Guardian. That's the way I wrote a few stories for the LA Times. That's the way. And like when I started in journalism, there would have been no possible way to get the contact details of those journalists and editors in these um, elite newspapers. But of course, it's now all online. It is an open door that's ready to be, to be pushed. The other thing I'd say if people want to get into travel journalism, the best way, I think, to do it is to start going on going on holidays, write about your holidays, write beautifully, write with consideration, write with a gripping way that you think people are really going to want to sh- read the article and then share the article with others and then give it to your local newspaper, to your local yeah, newspapers, your, your regional newspapers and give it to a few regional newspapers. Like regional newspapers, so mine is the Westmead Examiner, the Longford Leader. I also have contacts with which uh, the newspapers in Clare and Galway and Kerry, they all want content. They would all love to have some travel articles, but of course, obviously they don't have the money to pay for it. But if you give them articles, one of the great journalists who found this was Brendan Harding, who came to my first ever travel journalism workshop years ago in Bantry. And he just started, he was writing articles anyway, blogs, gave them to the regional newspapers, they started then franchising them. He was all he was on every single new regional newspaper in Ireland. Then the travel industry caught wind of this and started offering him trips all over the world. And then he started writing for, for you know, proper paid articles for, for, for newspapers. So it's an easy way in, rather than just sitting home being frustrated and you know, posting things to your Twitter. Honor that old school of journalism that is still alive in the country to really a remarkable extent, none of the regional newspapers, and give them content. And if you know, maybe the first year or two they're not going to pay you money, they will find a way of giving you a tiny bit of money over time. And you'll, but otherwise you'll find ways of reselling the articles you've written online or in other um, capacities later on.
0: Okay, uh, Malcolm, Malcolm, thanks for talking to me and to everyone listening, stay safe and take care. This has been the Freelance Forum Podcast with Jared Cunningham. The forum is brought to you by the Dublin Freelance Branch of the National Union of Journalists and made possible by network funding from the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland's sectoral learning and development programme. Music is from podsummit.com released under a Creative Commons Zero licence into the public domain. I'm Jared Cunningham. Thanks for listening. Take care and stay safe.